You know, this has been a challenging year for banking. You know, we had the, the bank failures on the coast in March. And, you know, the regulators decided that, you know, they're, oh, well, we missed that. So we're going to start really looking at, at everything. And then couple with that is the interest rates that keep going up. Banks have an investment portfolio in addition to their loan portfolio. Well, some of our investments are underwater right now because of the interest rates. So we're dealing with liquidity issues. So we have enough funds to loan out money. Loans themselves are not growing at this point in the economy with the higher interest rates. So it's been a challenging year in banking. We're still fighting to get at the top of it. I think we're well positioned on a lot of levels. But right now, those regulators are kind of making our lives miserable again. In a corporate world where all employees have great leaders with no egos that create fun cultures where people can do their best work, the employees and companies thrive while doing great things for the customers, themselves, and each other. Well, we know that rarely happens. I'm Jeff Palaccio. I have been a leader for over 40 years for every t-shirt size company from small 16 employees to extra large over 1 million. Please join me while I interview outstanding leaders that will share stories of great leadership and not so great. It will help you become a better leader while poking fun at all the crazy shit that happens in corporate America. Hi. I'm Joe Deshawn, and welcome to The Corporate Couch with Jeff Palaccio. Today, Jeff is interviewing Jane Detterding. Jane is the Chairman of the Board, General Counsel, and Chief Strategic Marketing Officer of Citizens Bank of Kansas. She also serves as Commissioner on the Kansas Governmental Ethics Commission and is involved with Wichita Animal Action League, Wichita Chamber of Commerce, and Wichita Area Delta Gamma alumni. Jane has bachelor's degrees in finance and economics from Wichita State University and a law degree from the University of Kansas. You can learn more about Jane at citizensbankofkansas.com. Let's listen as Jeff talks to Jane. Jane, welcome to the corporate couch today. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, so uh, you and I were introduced by a, a longtime friend, uh, Rose uh, Matzat, um, yes. who I went to college with, and uh, and I, I can't wait to hear of you know what the '80s in New York City was like uh, uh, or early '90s uh, to uh, you know have we, fun. We were very <laughs> very nice girls. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so we'll dig into that and uh, you had a great uh, law career and uh, talk about uh, what you're doing uh, for now i believe a fifth generation of of, of banking at the, yes. the citizens bank of kansas so it's very exciting to talk to you thank yes. you for coming along so i like to start with a fun question um so even that people that know you fairly well what what one thing would surprise them about you the ones that do know me well or don't know me? <laughs> no, they know you fairly well. Yeah. What would, what would say, oh, really? Jane does that or she's like that? What, what, what would that one thing be? 
Well, I'm a big dog lover and we have four rescue dogs right now, but I don't know that that's any surprise to people that know me well. A lot of people don't know that I actually did a radio show for a little piece in early 90s. Yeah. It was you and your husband from the basement, I believe? That's correct. It was yeah. called The Money Room. Nice. Yeah. About small business and, and uh, opportunity. So Yeah. Could be great idea for a podcast maybe there you go <laughs> well you'd have to talk to my ex-husband about that he's probably already doing it i don't know <laughs> we'll leave that topic alone and uh, move on <laughs> uh and then uh, you grew up uh in uh western kansas central kansas right south central kansas reno county small town turin t-u-r-o-n yeah and uh, my dad was the banker there and uh about 300 people. So, wow. you know, mom knew what we'd done before we got home. <laughs> so what was your graduating high school class size? Well, it was a consolidated. It was a big deal because oh. we had like six little towns. So oh. I had 43 in my class. Wow. There you go. Yeah. And, and that's six, six schools. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so growing up, Jane, what, uh, what uh, did you really like to do? What did I like to do? I did a, a lot of music, um, you know, piano lessons, singing. My sister and I got all the jobs around the house, you know, mowing the lawn. And, uh, and we loved to go swimming in the summer. And my dad was instrumental in getting a swimming pool in our little community. And so it was always the thing that my mom had this job chart and uh, we had to do so many jobs before we could go swimming for the afternoon. And boy, when the, uh, our other friends were mad when their moms found out about that. So everybody recreated my mom's job chart before they could go swimming. <laughs> nice. Did you have any aspirations as a child to be, you know, when you grew up, you wanted to be this? What was this? Oh, I wanted to be a doctor. Doctor? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And then I found out there was a lot of science involved with that, which is not my forte. <laughs> just, a, <laughs> just a minor little detour. like <laughs> Minor, right, yeah. Uh, so you go to uh, Wichita State, right? I do, yeah. yes. And, and what, as an 18-year-old, did you pick your uh, double major, finance and economics right away, or did you have a process during the four-year period? Oh, yeah. As with most things in my life, I took a, a, a circuitous route. I actually did my first semester at the University of Kansas and then transferred to Wichita State. I started out as a music major and, uh, you know, quickly learned uh, that if you could be the top vocalist in a very small high school, but in a vast ocean of excellent singers, in, in a large university, you were just average. <laughs> right. So um, I had like, but and I got on my liberal arts electives in the music department, um, and then I switched to what was, you know, probably all along going to be my major of business, finance, and economics. Yeah, and and why those two topics in business? Well, I mean, I grew up in the bank, you know, with my dad as the banker and. Uh, I've always liked numbers and um, it just it just appealed to me and you know it was it was the early 80s and you know that was kind of what you did you got a business degree right um, 
but I, I, I didn't plan to get the econ minor, but found that I loved it with, you know, just the classes that, um, you know, you take as part of your business electives. And so I just pursued that minor too. And it was fascinating. I still like it. Yeah, that's great. So you, uh, you, you get your degree at Wichita State and how do you, what is your first job out of college and how'd you get it? Again, my circuitous route to my current career. Um, I went to work for Senator Bob Dole and I'd graduated and, you know, applying for jobs, wasn't really in a big hurry. I was enjoying my summer in Wichita and um, I'm not quite sure how this happened, to be honest, but I got a call from the chief of staff for Senator Dole in Washington, D.C., a lady by the name of Joanne Coe, who was a presence to be understated. And she said, hey, uh, we have a young lady that is going out on maternity leave. And I got your name as somebody that might be willing to come to D.C. for a few months to fill in. And I'm like, oh, okay, sure, I can do that. And you know, and I'd been involved with young Republicans and things in college and worked on campaigns. So it wasn't totally out of the blue, I guess. But uh, so I did that. I said, sure. And I, she said, I said, well, when do you want me? And I said, and she said, how about Monday? Oh, <laughs> and this was like maybe Monday or Tuesday of the prior week. And I'm going, okay, I think I better call my dad. <laughs> <laughs> so got it all worked out and I flew to DC with a couple of suitcases and actually stayed at American University they do summer housing for interns and such and uh, ended up rooming with a woman who was interning for oh I've lost the name but he was longtime Arkansas senator Democrat. So here we are. She, she was working for the Democrat and I was working for Republican and we became fast friends. Oh, nice. And at the end of the, the maternity leave period, uh, they, they again, Joanko approached me and said, we'd like to keep you on staff. And they offered me either a legislative assistant in DC or the a constituent services position in Topeka. And being a bit of a homebody, I said, you know, I think I want to do that Topeka thing. So that's what I did for four years. I did constituent services for Senator Dole. Oh, wow. So and it, did you have much interaction because uh, with Senator Dole? I mean, he obviously was a, just a legend in the, the political arena. You know, I did. And particularly, ironically, more so in Topeka, because he would come out to the state and visit very regularly. That was, you know, he loved coming back to Kansas and seeing the people. So there were two of us in the office and we were charged with, you know, setting up all the details for getting him places and, and you know, going with him to events. And, uh, you know, he just, so yeah, I did have a, a lot of interaction with him. And actually I would, I would say we became friends certainly after I, stopped working for him you know he's you know he's been gone a bit now but you know he would call me out of the blue 
And uh, my kids loved it because he called me on my birthday one year. Oh, wow. And uh, my kids were in one of my, my oldest was in high school and she's just sitting there with her mouth open. She goes, that was Senator Dole. I go, yeah, he wanted to borrow money. So, <laughs> uh, you know, so it was good. It was, it was, it was a great experience. Yeah. And, you know, and you're, you're so close to that legislative process and you learn so much. And I think that that kind of gelled my idea of, hey, I want to go to law school. Now, my smart ass answer for why I went to law school is I was around a whole bunch of lawyers a lot. <laughs> and I knew I was smarter than a lot of them. So I thought, <laughs> if they can do it, I can do it. <laughs> I love it. What, uh, just to go back to Senator Dole for a second. I mean, just did he impart any lessons? You know, obviously you're working with one of the, one of the greatest, you know, political figures in U.S. history. I mean, did, uh, what was it he like? He was such a statesman. Yeah. I mean, we don't have that in our country right now. Right. We don't have people that say, look, for the good of the country, I'm going to talk to the people on the other side of the aisle and forge some sort of consensus. And, and that, was, that was an amazing thing. Just when I was in D.C., just walking, watching, he was majority leader at the time, watching the people walk in that office, you know, the secretary of the treasury, you know, they'd come in and come to him and you forge these alliances with, with people across the aisle. And, and I think that that was, you know, at the time as a 21, 22 year old, looking at that, I, I, it didn't have that much impact, but later in my life, you, you know, that really um, taught me a lot about, you know, everybody has their own way and thoughts about doing something, but to be a good leader, you, put all the people in the room and figure out a way to work it out. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I would say that's the greatest thing I learned from Senator Dole is just the ability to negotiate and compromise. Yeah. yeah. And he was, he had a gift for remembering people's names. Um, you know, when we'd go on an event, he'd always like, you know, if I don't know his name, remind me. Okay. <laughs> Never happened. Never happened. Yeah, it seems like the great leaders uh, have that ability. Uh, they, you know, yeah. you're the only person in the, you know, in the room when they're talking to you, and you know, so yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, so you know, your smart-ass answer for going to law school you gave, but I mean, really, was it did, being around that many, uh, you know, lawyers? Was it like, hey, I could see myself doing this, or you you thought you would be successful at it? Well, part of it was just the legislative process, you know, that, that just realizing how the laws were made and up close and personal, um, you know, and, I, and I, I always thought that I wanted an advanced degree, but I didn't think that maybe the MBA was the right path for me. Um, so it was a challenge, uh, something I was very successful at ultimately. And uh, uh, you know, I remember when I went home, I think it was Thanksgiving before I started the following May, and I said, announced that I was going to take the LSAT and go to law school. And my dad looked at me and said, who of your kin is a lawyer? And I said, well, nobody. He says, well, how do you think you're going to get a job? I said, well, I guess I'll work hard like everybody else. 
So ultimately he wasn't on board, but right. I went to the University of Kansas and redeemed myself. Of course, he was he blood blue and red. And, <laughs> and so after about the first year of law school, it was suddenly his idea for me to go to law school. <laughs> That's funny. So you, you graduate law school and you're in Lawrence, Kansas, right? Yep. Uh, yep. My first job out of law school was with a, a small firm in Topeka okay. and I learned a lot there. And um, I was approaching my 30th birthday because, you know, I got a late start on that law school thing. And I thought, holy cow, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in Kansas. And I thought, you know, let's go do something different. And I was in a relationship with a man that lived in New York, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to see if I can get a job, and lo and behold, I, behold, I did, and I, so I spent about 18 months, nine, two years, somewhere uh, around in there working for Hahn and Hessen in New York City. It was a pretty much a boutique firm in terms of New York lawyer, New York firms, and I, did, I was in the bankruptcy department, which I really liked, and it kind of fit my wheelhouse, and, and that's where I met Rose Madsat, who is still a dear friend of mine. Yeah, Rose is phenomenal. Um, and it was the uh, law firm, I know at one point it was in the Empire State Building. Uh, That's where I was. State. Yeah. And it was wow. it was hilarious because, you know, I'm here, this kid from Kansas, and oh my gosh, I'm in the Empire State Building, and I go up to the top, you know, like the first couple of weeks I was there, yeah. and I come back, and I'm, we'll have our little associates gatherings, you know, and I said, I've been to the top. And here are these native New Yorkers have never been never to the been. top. Yeah, right. Yeah. No. <laughs> they go, you did? I go, yeah. You haven't been up there? It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I grew up an hour from the city. I had never been up there till my kids were six and eight. We went back yeah. uh, from Kansas City to New York yeah. to visit family. <laughs> Brought them up there. And actually, uh, Rose gave us a pass to get up, you know, pat, cut the yeah. line and all that. So yeah, that was, yeah. Uh, yeah, so so you you're uh, in you're at Hahn and Hessen, and what was your next uh, career step after that? Well, I came back to Kansas. I had uh, my sister had a child who was very ill, and and I felt like I needed to be back with family. And so I came back to Kansas, and I went to work for a, a law firm in Wichita, and. Um, I was in private practice with, with a couple of firms uh, for 10 years total before uh, I decided, made the, well, I guess it's fair to say my dad helped me decide, but, uh, you know, he was always giving me this lecture whenever I was home. Of, so are you going to be a lawyer that owns bank stock or are you going to be a banker with a law degree? And I was like, well, yeah, you know, I'm practicing law right now. I was doing the work for the bank. He was pleased with what I was doing. And one Christmas I was home and I was, I had like the flu or something and he caught me at a weak moment. No, <laughs> no I'm kidding. I said, fine, yeah, we'll, we'll make the transition. And at the time we were building out um, our first branch in Wichita, and I'd kind of been helping oversee, you know, construction since I was right there. And so we opened that in March of 2001. Well, yes, that's when I went to work. It was, I think, April before we actually opened the doors. 
And so that's, that was my first spot, getting a new branch on the ground in Wichita, Kansas. Wow. And so explain the history, because I know, I think it was 2022, is basically 100 years, you know, right. it's phenomenal. But, uh, talk a little bit about the history and how the bank was started. And Right. My great-grandfather in 1922 purchased with his uncle the controlling stock of a small bank in, uh, in Atlanta, Kansas, which is, you know, like, Everybody says Atlanta. Oh, no, not Georgia, Kansas. Teeny (laughs) tiny little bank. And uh, so from there, it started. And uh, when he bought the bank, there was a young man there with the cashier. His name was Ray Detterding. And uh, so Ray stayed on and ultimately married my, uh, the banker's daughter. And uh, so then he took over at the bank, uh, my, my grandfather, Ray, until he was there and he died pretty early in his, with, from a brain tumor in 1963. And so at that point, my dad had already was in the banking business. He'd been a banking examiner and he bought the small bank in Turin. And so he bought the rest of the stock in Atlanta and was running two banks about two hours apart with in a small town with two small children. And he, he was working hard, but he, he, was, he was a gifted banker uh, and he gradually added more small branches. Um, and uh, we, at that time you could not have more than one bank in a holding company. So, we had all these little banks and all these call reports for every bank. And uh, finally, we were able to put the banks together in 1997, I believe. And at that, by that time, my sister's husband, Mark Keeney, had joined the bank too. Uh, and he ultimately became president of the bank. Uh, he, he's now CEO and, and I'm chairman. And uh, when my dad died in 2004, we had a bank of 160 million and we're just under 500 million now. So I'd like to think my dad would be proud of what Mark and I have done. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, and I know it's on your, uh, I'll call it your tagline, but what was your uh, dad's famous quote about banking? His famous line was, banking isn't a money business, it's a people business. And he walked that every day. Um, you know, I, I always knew that my dad did a lot for the people in our small towns. And I would just remember today that, in fact, that one of the things he did was in Turan, you know, there, there wasn't a lawyer. So he had a firm that he worked with and he had a young associate attorney come out every Wednesday, just sit in the boardroom. If anybody had any questions, they could just come in and ask and, he was very generous with people. Uh, and then, you know, you know, after he died, I, I heard so many stories I'd never heard about his generosity. But it, it is about the people. It's about the relationships, not only our customers, but certainly our staff and our communities. We're very much involved in all the communities where we have banks. Uh, and, and we're very proud of that. that that's, our, that's how we 
bank. Right. No, I, I think that's phenomenal. I mean, I think that touches, you know, as as bank the banking industry consolidates and, you know, the smaller banks are swallowed up by the, you know, corporate banks. It's just, you know, you don't you lose that personal touch. And so it's it's great that you you continue that tradition. And that's how it all started. It's kind of the it's a wonderful life, uh, you know, type of banking. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which is which is great. Um yeah, so tell me about you know you were about three years in and you're you're I, I believe your father died suddenly. How did that all impact you? And and the, yeah, the it was. Let's see, I joined the bank in two thousand one, and my dad died in two thousand four. Um, my dad had a plan, and unfortunately, most of it was just in his head, and it was a need to know. And you didn't you didn't get to get the whole picture in one conversation. You got little bits and pieces. And uh, so he he had a stroke that he never recovered from. So even communicating with him in the last two weeks of his life was very difficult. We as a family were you know we were stunned obviously and Bruce really didn't know what we wanted to do right off the bat. And then to make matters worse, the regulators came in and said, you know, Max was the credit cop. My dad, Max Dennerty, was the credit cop. And we think you need to put more constraints in place uh, for your credit policies and that sort of thing. And we actually operated under a memorandum for almost two years to implement um, new credit standards. And so here we are grieving over my dad and we're trying to make sure we get the bank position that it's steady if we decide to sell it or if we wanna keep going. And, and we had a lot of soul searching. We worked with a small business consultant, family consultant that helped us work through. And ultimately, obviously, uh, we decided that, that we wanted to keep the bank and make it work. And, and we worked really, really hard in those first years to get the ship righted in the eyes of the regulator and uh, go on down the road. And, and, you know, now I would tell you that that was probably the best thing that could have happened uh, to get those policies and procedures cleaned up after dad died. Uh, he was a seat of the pants, old school banker, you know, right. you know, he had, I remember in his desk drawer, he had a pad of promissory notes, just like you would fill out a blank check. He would fill out a promissory note when somebody came in, they'd sign it. Of course, in this day of regulation, we can't do that, but right. <laughs> um, it was phenomenal. Uh, so anyway, that's where we got through that and um, made our bank stronger. We're still utilizing like those loan committee things that we established in that 2004 to 2006 range to run our bank. And, and we've received excellent ratings as a bank. I mean, we can't tell, you know, the rating, that's a big right. secret, but right. <laughs> excellent ratings. And uh, uh, we have a good bank. Yeah. No. Very proud of that. Yeah, it's a great story. So just to go back in, in terms of when you started at the bank, Jane. So, I mean, you're a lawyer, right? And you're very successful. And and you grew up in the banking industry because right. you know, your, your 
your uh, grandfather, great grandfather, and your dad were in it. But like, what was the biggest surprise coming from a, a legal background and working at law firms to, you know, working at the bank and running, you know, helping run the bank? Well, I had an inkling because, you know, I was doing the bank's legal work, but, you know, as with my lawyer hat on, you know, I was always looking at loan documentation and, and, and knowing what needed to be there and finding the oopses along the way, which just made my head explode uh, we, we, when we bought a small, well, the FDIC gave us the opportunity to, to take it over <laughs> a small bank. And I went in and I spent three days going through the whole loan portfolio. And I was like, oh my God, dad, what did we do? Um, so yeah, I think that, and then the second piece would be the regulators. Um, it's a moving target. You know, you do exactly what you think you're supposed to do. And they come in and say, well, you know, maybe we ought to do something a little different. You know, this has been a challenging year for banking. You know, we had the, the bank failures on the coast in March. And, uh, you know, the regulators decided that, you know, they're, oh, well, we missed that. So we're going to start really looking at, at everything. And then coupled with that is the interest rates that keep going up. Um, and not to get too banky techy, but you know, we, we banks have an investment portfolio in addition to their loan portfolio. And well, some of our investments, uh, you know, are, are underwater right now because of the interest rates. So uh, we're, we're dealing with liquidity issues. So we have enough funds to, to loan out money. Uh, you know, the loans themselves are not growing at this point in the comedy with the higher interest rates. Uh, so it's been a challenging year in banking <laughs> wow. and uh, we're still fighting to get at the top of it. I think we're well positioned on a lot of levels, but right now those regulators are kind of making our lives miserable again. Yeah. So, I mean, so, I mean, obviously all businesses were impacted by the pandemic, but what, what did you see you know, what was the kind of the biggest changes, you know, pre-pandemic to how that bank runs today? Well, if you think back, you know, when the pandemic hit, I mean, aside from the logistics of keeping the bank open with people sick and all that, but when the pandemic hit, you know, the Fed rate went down to literally zero. And, and so we go from zero in... 2020, 21 to where it is now, it's gone up, you know, we're at six something now. You know, so managing that has been a challenge. The, I will say that, you know, for all the grief that some of the administration has gotten for the stimulus that the PPP loans and uh, those stimulus checks, you know, kept the economy going. They really, really did. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of conservatives will tell you that that wasn't a good plan. And I'm going to tell you it was a good plan. Um, not only for businesses, but just for individuals. But I think the other challenge from that, of course, is the hiring pool. 
you know, a lot of people during the pandemic, they were getting those stimulus checks. Maybe they weren't applying for jobs. And, you know, coming out of it, uh, the, the rates that we're having to pay our hourlies have, have gone up. Uh, you know, the, the, the pool of candidates seems to be shrinking. I don't know what these people are living on because that stimulus money is long gone. Right. So, so it's, it's very challenging. It's been very challenging. Yeah, it seems like a lot of businesses, you know, the, the attracting talented people to work is is been difficult, you know, yeah. since since the pandemic. So it, it's just an interesting time. Uh, plus, you know, your uh, most of your employees can't work from home, right? It's, you need people to run the bank. Um, so it's, uh, you know, we, we did pretty good. I, I mean, we had about a three week period where our lobbies were closed and we were only running drive through services. And then of course, you know, appointment, if somebody needed to see a loan officer, we'd let them in, but we just, we had people sick. We couldn't staff it right. any other way. So, right. but we weren't alone in that, you know, it's a lot of businesses had to do that. And, you know, no one can predict the f future, Jane, but where do you see the banking industry going in the next 10 years? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I guess if my crystal ball is, is working today, I would tell you that hopefully we're at the top, we're very near top of these interest rate increases. And Another thing that these interest rates have done is put kind of a quash on any kinds of mergers and acquisitions in banking because it's, you just can't make the numbers work. So in my crystal ball, I would see after we see some of that settling out of the interest rates that probably you'll see more consolidation of banks. Um, you know, we, uh, just in Kansas as a microcosm, you know, the number of small banks has, has shrunk by over a hundred over the last five years. And, and we, we see that now. A lot of those are other community banks buying smaller community banks in Kansas, which something we did in 2019 is we bought a small bank also. And, um, I think you'll see more of that when the interest rate stabilizes so that the banks themselves have the loan growth, that their investment policies kind of level out and they can start thinking about acquiring uh, banks that, um, you know, right now it doesn't make sense to try to do that. Right. I think you'll probably see more crypto coming up. Um, those are challenges. There's still so many scams with crypto. Uh, we, you know, we as a community bank strongly believe in person to person, but we do have all the digital bells and whistles for our customers to use. So there will be more of that. And I think it will be interesting what our younger generation come as they grow into adulthood, what they want from banking. Right. You know, we've we've seen that they want all the digital bells and whistles. But 
they also want a banker. They don't, they may not put it in those terms, but they want to be able to reach out to somebody and sit down across the desk and say, explain to me how this whole mortgage thing works, uh-huh. you know? So I think as a community bank, our challenge is to touch those younger generation now and help them understand the utility in having a bank, a real honest to God bricks and mortar bank with people they get to know and trust. Right. And and one of the ways we're doing that as a bank is we now have two high school branches. Uh, We have in Derby and then in, in Circle High School, which is in Butler County where we just opened this August. And those branches are staffed by students. And, you know, we have limited hours, like before school and during lunch breaks. And, and they're, they're tagged as an educational branch because those kids not only take deposits and, and give cash and open accounts, but they're also charged with giving presentations to, you know, younger classes in the high school and the middle schools so that that we start teaching these younger kids about managing their finances at a younger age because it's a challenge and it's a problem. There's a lot of young people that just don't know how to do a budget, how to balance their checkbook, et cetera. So we believe strongly in that program, um, just helping kids get a leg up, getting starting to understand what they're going to need as adults. Yeah, no, I think that's a phenomenal initiative having raised uh, a, a few of my own children. But uh, yeah, and and not only balancing a checkbook, like what is a checkbook? <laughs> <laughs> right, what is a check? <laughs> well, yeah, we actually, for those high school accounts, we don't even give them checks. We just no. give them a debit card. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I find it interesting. I don't write many checks anymore myself, but there are a few people that still only take checks. So, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, we still sell them. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, Jane, there's two groups I'd love to help on, on the podcast because I'm, I'm empathetic uh, to both. Uh, one is recent college graduates when they come out of school and are, are about to come out of school, you know, you know, Wichita State, KU, name the university or college. They teach how to get a degree, but they don't really teach you how to pursue a career and get a great job. What advice do you have for a recent college graduate in, in terms of pursuing, getting that first job and starting your career? Don't say no to opportunities that might not be what you thought you wanted to do. You know, when I graduated with my finance and economics degree, there was nothing on my radar that said, go to DC and work for a senator. Nothing on my radar. So I would say branch out on what you think you want to do. And understand that you are not God's gift to the, to the job pool. Yeah, you've got this degree, but so do most of the other people. So be willing to work hard, maybe for less money than you want to do from the beginning, but to get experience that will be invaluable. You know, I, I have recent college grads that work for us and they're on the front teller line. 
and, and you know they they talk about career advancement and i'm like you put a couple of years under your belt then we'll talk so I, it's still a lot of hard work doing the job showing up being willing and able and and, and doing everything you can to learn everything you can even if your first job isn't where you're going to end up take the opportunity to to learn whatever job you're at no that's that's great advice um yeah i think it's it, you know every generation is different but it's just you know we, uh, i think it's harder to be a leader now because of all the different generations you are you know the millennials gen xers the baby boomers so it's a it's a very diverse work pool right now and it and it really uh you you know you need to be an empathetic leader and have high eq and all that and that that goes to the second group i like to help so you know you're hiring people that are individual contributors they start as bank tellers or customer service agents or whatever you know but they're individual contributors but then they get promoted and now they're you know they're ahead of you know five or six different people for the first time they're leading people from an hr perspective what advice do you have for those people as they begin their leadership journey listen you know listen more talk less um, you know, we, we're very generous with our development of our young people and, uh, take advantage of those, you know, that we have, we work with, we're still state, the center for management development. We send our, our branch managers through that leadership training and it's good. And, uh, we're sending three people to the ICBA lead forward conference in Kansas City later this month. And if you are given the opportunity to lead, if, if you spark that interest in your employer that you have that ability, then say yes to every opportunity you're given to grow. You know, and, and bring ideas to us. You know, we've had people say, hey, I found this conference or I'd like to do this webinar. And you know what? 99% of the time, we're going to say, heck yeah. And so dive in deep uh, and be all you could be. There you go. I love it. Um, Jane, thank you so much for being on the corporate cast today. I, I really love what you're doing with the bank. And you're just, uh, I love your energy. And uh, I, I, I so looked forward to this conversation. So thank you for being on. Thank you very much for having me. There were so many things about Jane's episode that I, I really liked. I mean, uh, I think a lot of our guests, you know, you know, Jane, I asked her about her major and it started, she was going to be a, a doctor or uh, I'm sorry, musician. Yeah. And um, then change majors. And she said something like, you know, like most things in my life, you know, uh, uh, you know, took a circuitous route, right? So what she started going towards always change. And she had examples of that later on also. And I mean, that happens to a lot of our guests when you look at their career journey. So I thought that was interesting. And then, you know, she had, you know, worked very closely with one of the great, you know, statesmen, you know, that the U.S. has ever had, Senator Bob Dole from Kansas. Great uh, guy. Great experience there. Oh, yeah. 
And just, I, you know, I, what I love, she grew up in Turin, Kansas, population 120, and ends up uh, working in both D.C. and New York City, <laughs> two of the most populous places in the United States. And, and then she know, comes back to Wichita that, and runs the family yeah. business. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, another, you know, Citizens Bank of Kansas, you know, over 100 years old. Started in Atlanta, Kansas, which never knew Atlanta, Kansas even existed. So just, yeah, and, you know, how her, you know, father's death impacted her life. And it, just a lot of great stories that came out of it. Joe, what did you think of the episode? Oh, yeah, she was she was absolutely great. The Bob Dole stories, they match everything I've ever heard about Bob Dole. as being somebody that worked on both sides of the aisle and was just a, a super nice, super nice person as well as a great statesman and politician. I was reminded uh, in Jane's story where she was talking about uh, having to keep the bank open during COVID. And it reminded me of a story that I had at my local Waffle House. I went to my Waffle House in the middle of the of COVID. It was actually just when we were just getting over the hump. So we, businesses were starting to open up and everything. And I went to the Waffle House and they said they are only open for takeout that they couldn't serve me in the restaurant. And I said, well, why is that? She said, because we can't hire enough people manage the, the tables. We can only hire enough people to manage the, the, the grill and to throw things into styrofoam boxes and ship them out the door. And, um, and I thought it was a shame that, that here at Waffle House, this is, this is good business and it's, they may not pay the best in the world, but they'll take anybody, they'll train anybody to, to do. And if you want to work hard, you can. But there were so many people that were actually paid more to stay at home during the uh, COVID crisis than to earn a decent living at Waffle House. The Waffle House literally had to shut down half their business, because, not, not because their, the demand wasn't there, but because they couldn't hire enough people. I thought that was a shame. And it was interesting then that Jane talked about that that was the exact same experience that they had at the um, at the bank that they're having a hard time hiring people because the talent pool is uh, is drying up uh, that they're paying so many people just to stay home and not work. Yeah, it was definitely a crazy time. And uh, what I love about your reference is you know we're both big Waffle House fans. So mm -hmm. You have to sit at the counter at a Waffle House because you get the employee drama. It's it's really fascinating it's an experience it's a southern experience all <laughs> all its own if you have some some listeners that live up in the uh, northwest part of the country where there aren't any waffle houses i really feel bad for them well, at least they have white castle but they have uh, white castle. anyhow uh, <laughs> based on jane's conversation joe what uh, leadership lessons do you have for them yeah today we're going to go to that great philosopher michael scott who one time said wikipedia is the best thing ever Anyone in the world can write anything they want about any subject, so you know you're getting the best possible information. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Corporate Couch. If you enjoy the podcast, I would love for you to take two minutes out of your day to rate us five stars and write a review. Please join me next week to learn from another great leader sharing their professional journey and insights.